0: WAR AND PEACE, BOOK 6, CHAPTER 16 Read for LibriVox.org by Eva Harnick. Suddenly, everybody stirred, began talking, and pressed forward and then back, and between the two rows which separated, the emperor entered to the sounds of music that had immediately struck up. Behind him walked his host and hostess. He walked in rapidly, bowing to right and left, as if anxious to get the first moments of the reception over. The band played the Polonaise in vogue at that time on account of the words that had been set to it beginning Alexander, elisaveta all our hearts you ravish quite. The emperor passed on to the drawing-room, The crowd made a rush for the doors, and several persons with excited faces hurried there and back again. Then the crowd hastily retired from the drawing-room door, at which the emperor reappeared, talking to the hostess. A young man, looking distraught, pounced down on the ladies, asking them to move aside. Some ladies, with faces betraying complete forgetfulness of all the rules of decorum, pushed forward to the detriment of their toilets. The men began to choose partners and take their places for the polonaise. Everyone moved back, and the emperor came smiling out of the drawing-room, leading his hostess by the hand, but not keeping time to the music the host was followed with Maria Antonovna Narzhinskina. Then came ambassadors, ministers, and various generals, whom Peronskaya diligently named. More than half the ladies already had partners and were taking up or preparing to take up their positions for the Polonaise. Natasha felt that she would be left with her mother, and Sonya among a minority of women who crowded near the wall, not having been invited to dance. She stood with her slender arms hanging down, her scarcely defined bosom rising and falling regularly, and with bated breath and glittering, frightened eyes, gazed straight before her, evidently prepared for the height of joy or misery. She was not concerned about the emperor or any of those great people whom Peronskaya was pointing out. She had but one thought. Is it possible, no one will ask me, that I shall not be among the first to dance? Is it possible that not one of all these men will notice me? They do not even seem to see me. Or if they do, they look as if they were saying, Ah, she's not the one I am after, so it is not worth looking at her. No, it is impossible, she thought. They must know how I long to dance, how splendidly I dance, and how they would enjoy dancing with me. The strains of the Polonaise, which had continued for a considerable time, had begun to sound like a sad reminiscence to Natasha's ears. She wanted to cry. Peronskaya had left them. The count was at the other end of the room. She and the countess and Sonya were standing by themselves, as in the depths of a forest amid that crowd of strangers, with no one interested in them and not wanted by anyone. Prince Andrew, with a lady passed by, evidently not recognizing them. The handsome Anatole was smilingly talking to a partner on his arm and looked at Natasha as one looks at a wall. Boris passed them twice and each time turned away. Berg and his wife, who were not dancing, came up to them. This family gathering seemed humiliating to Natasha, as if there were nowhere else for the family to talk but here at the ball. She did not listen to or look at Vera, who was telling her something about her own green dress. At last, the emperor stopped beside his last partner, He had danced with three, and the music ceased. A worried Edekamp ran up to the Rostovs, requesting them to stand farther back, though, as it was, they were already close to the wall, and from the gallery resounded the distinct, precise, enticingly rhythmical strains of a waltz. The emperor looked smilingly down the room. A minute passed, but no one had yet begun dancing. An aide the master of ceremonies, went up to Countess Bezukhova and asked her to dance. She smilingly raised her hand and laid it on his shoulder without looking at him. The aide an adept, In his art, grasping his partner firmly round her waist, with confident deliberation, started smoothly, gliding first round the edge of the circle, then at the corner of the room, he caught Helen's left hand and turned her, the only sound audible, apart from the ever-quickening music being the rhythmic click of the spurs on his rapid, agile feet, while at every third beat, His partner's velvet dress spread out and seemed to flash as she whirled round. Natasha gazed at them and was ready to cry because it was not she who was dancing that first turn of the waltz. Prince Andrew, in the white uniform of a cavalry colonel, wearing stockings and dancing shoes, stood looking animated and bright in the front row of the circle, not far from the Rostovs. Baron Firhoff was talking to him about the first sitting of the Council of State to be held next day. Prince Andrew, as one closely connected with Speransky and participating in the work of the Legislative Commission, could give reliable information about that sitting concerning which various rumours were current. But not listening to what Firhoff was saying, he was gazing now at the sovereign, and now at the men intending to dance, who had not yet gathered courage to enter the circle. Prince Andrew was watching these men abashed by the emperor's presence, and the women, who were breathlessly longing to be asked to dance. Pierre came up to him and caught him by the arm. You always dance. I have a protégé, the young Rostova. Here, ask her, he said. Where is she? asked Bolkonsky. Excuse me, he added, turning to the baron. We will finish this conversation elsewhere. At a ball, one must dance he stepped forward in the direction Pierre indicated. The despairing, dejected expression of Natasha's face caught his eye. He recognized her, guessed her feelings, saw that it was her debut, remembered her conversation at the window, and with an expression of pleasure on his face, approached Countess Rostova. "'Allow me to introduce you to my daughter,' said the countess with heightened colour. "'I have the pleasure of being already acquainted if the countess remembers me,' said Prince Andrew with a low and courteous bow. Quite belying, Peronska's remarks about his rudeness, and approaching Natasha he held out his arm to grasp her waist "'before he had completed his invitation. "'He asked her to waltz. "'That tremulous expression on Natasha's face, "'prepared either for despair or rapture, "'suddenly brightened into a happy, grateful, childlike smile. "'I have long been waiting for you,' "'that frightened, happy little girl seemed to say, "'by the smile that replaced the threatened tears,' as she raised her hand to Prince Andrew's shoulder. They were the second couple to enter the circle. Prince Andrew was one of the best dancers of his day, and Natasha danced exquisitely. Her little feet in their white satin dancing shoes did their work swiftly, lightly, and independently of herself, while her face beamed with ecstatic happiness. Her slender bare arms and neck were not beautiful. Compared to Helene's, her shoulders looked thin and her bosom undeveloped. But Helene seemed, as it were, hardened by a varnish left by the thousands of looks that had scanned her person. While Natasha was like a girl exposed for the first time, who would have felt very much ashamed had she not been assured that this was absolutely necessary. Prince Andrew liked dancing and wishing to escape as quickly as possible from the political and clever talk which everyone addressed to him, wishing also to break up the circle of restraint he disliked caused by the Emperor's presence, he danced and had chosen Natasha because Pierre pointed her out to him and because she was the first pretty girl who caught his eye but scarcely had he embraced that slender supple figure and felt her steering so close to him and smiling so near him then the vine of her charm rose to his head and he felt himself revived and rejuvenated when after leaving her he stood breathing deeply and watching the other dancers. End of chapter 16. Recording by Eva Harnick, Ponta Vedra, Florida.